Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press. Sunbury Press publishes print and electronic books under 10 different imprints in a variety of categories sold worldwide, wherever books are sold. This episode is the first of a series concerning our new book, a compilation about the coronavirus impacts entitled, After the Pandemic, Visions of Life Post-COVID-19. The topic of our show today concerns impacts on the family and family life. Our panel of guests includes Barbara Matthews, the author of What to Do About Mama, a book about elder care. Barbara is a chapter about being a grandmother during the pandemic. Welcome, Barbara. Hi. Good to have you this morning. Bridget Thank Smith you. is the author of of uh, Bridget Smith is the author of Where Elephants Fought, a Civil War historical fiction. Bridget contributed a chapter about the impact on the teens and her family. Good morning, Bridget. Thank you, Lawrence. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Iris Dorbian is the author of Sentence to Shakespeare, young adult fiction about bullying and rehabilitation. Iris contributed a chapter about how the pandemic affects all levels of society. Good morning, Iris. Hello. Good morning. All right. And H.A. Callum is the author of Whispers in the Alders, literary fiction about abuse and friendships. His chapter in the book is about life as a single parent of two young girls. Good morning, morning, H.A. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. I know we have a big panel here, and, uh, you know, I appreciate you all being here. Um, I'm going to start with Iris. First Mm. question, if you could tell us a little bit about Tell us about your piece in the book. Just give us a quick synopsis of what you wrote about. Well, it's really about um, the democratizing effect of this public health crisis, how COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. It will attack anyone regardless of their position or in society or their wealth or their influence. It doesn't care. In the eyes of the coronavirus, there is no class system all are equally and vul- equally susceptible and vulnerable. And uh, I even, yes, <laughs> I call it the uh, COVID-19 is the Bolshevik of pandemics. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> is pretty widespread, and I don't think anybody's immune to it, at least unless you've had it. Hey, Barbara, tell us about yes. uh, a little bit about what you wrote about in the grandmother's perspective. Okay. Well, I sort of feel like we've been marching towards something. <laughs> you know, I don't none of us had us defined we don't know what we were marching towards, but it was it was sort of like that music in jaws where there was an impending something coming and I've been feeling that way for uh well, you know, in in spurts and so forth, probably back since uh 9/11. Um 
and so it's here and now now we know what we're dealing with to a certain extent um but um you know we're at the point and and I very much see this as a time of transition where the younger generations are going to be taking over the bulk of the responsibility for doing something about this problem yeah, of where we find ourselves in society. Time time for the young generations to step up, and they, they definitely are. Bridget, tell us about uh, your family, what you wrote about. Um, okay, well, uh, my piece was basically um, the shock, I think, when uh, when everything occurred. We were Zooming into spring break, and uh, all of my kids were at the cusp of, you know, their greatness, I guess you'd say, all their hard work, um, cheerleading, baseball, dental school, I mean, everything, All my, that's what my kids are involved in. And, I mean, in one day, it felt like everything came to a screeching halt. And just the unknown, you know, what will they learn from it? Where will they go from here? Um, and we are actually this weekend in the midst of waiting to hear about cheerleading. <laughs> so we have all kinds of things. Um, you know, and my daughter, who's going to be a D4 next year, uh, we're waiting to hear when they're going to, if they're ever going to go back to school. And we find that yeah. out Monday. So. Yeah, I've got a, a stepdaughter who's got two little ones. She's been forced to homeschool while she's also trying to work. I've got a 22-year-old who's just graduating from college and will be hoping to start her first job out in Colorado. Who knows if that happens? And two high schoolers yeah. graduating high school and no festivities. So it's really mm-hmm. disappointing. I hear you. It is. All right. H.A., uh, tell us a little bit about the single parent perspective, what you wrote about. Hi, Lawrence. Yeah, it's um, so it's been interesting because I'm like many parents. I have young children. They're preschool and kindergarten. I have two daughters, and so my days are usually I'm up 5 a.m. try to get as much work done as I can by lunch, and then try to focus the afternoons on with them. You know, the positive of it is we've had so much more time together, and so I've been trying to see that as the bright spot in all of this, but it does have challenges with things like groceries and just the day-to-day activities of, of life that we took for granted at one time. And now they're, you know, going to a store is not, if you're out of milk, you're out of milk. You know, you can't just yeah. get up and go now. Right. Right. Yeah. Strange times in the stores for sure. Hey, I have a bunch of round table questions, so I'm just going to cycle through these. And if we could just go around uh, one at a time, uh, the first one I'm really curious about. Now, you all are calling in from different areas and even different states. So let's talk first about if you could give us a, an idea of where you're calling from and what restrictions you've seen uh, where you're at, maybe as things unfolded and where you're at now. So I'll start with Iris. Mm. Well, I'm in northern New Jersey, and our state is second to New York in uh, number of infections. So we, uh, we've been locked down since mid-March. And we, um, we have been following New York in terms of the restrictions because our governor, Governor Murphy, has supposedly uh, been working behind the scenes with um, Governor Cuomo and um, the Connecticut, Connecticut governor. Uh, and, and because uh, it, we are the tri-state area and they're trying to prevent people who, like, say, um, people from New York 
sort of ride, driving to uh, New York, driving to New Jersey to go to the bars and all that. So they all they want to be on the same level. However, um, we are starting to open up a little bit, slightly. Last week, the parks reopened. However, there are restrictions. The playgrounds are not open, and parking lots are only open to 50%. And, uh, and then we, we got the news earlier this week that um, basically the governor is going to extend the lockdown <laughs> for another month. Great. <laughs> so oh, isn't that just wonderful? However, I mean, I just just little things that make us happy. Like, for example, I mean, we, we did, I, I took a drive the other day to this little area that I like to go to. And I just to, just to see if there was anything that opened up. And I noticed that Starbucks has reopened. However, it's reopened for uh, pickup and delivery. So that did warm my heart a little bit just to see this little little signs of normality that I could cling to. So uh, that's that's how it, it is here in Jersey. It's been uh, it's been a little depressing, but I never thought I'd say God bless Starbucks, but all right, <laughs> Barbara. Barbara, how about you? I know you're uh, you're in the greater Harrisburg area. I am from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it's this is very weird for for me because um, we moved into a condominium a couple of years ago, kind of getting into that downsizing phase of life, and um, it's not a 55 community, but actually, you know, everybody is pretty much a senior here, and there's only three, there's only 33 units, um, so it's small. There's a lot of green space. It's it's lovely. Um, so we put on a sun porch, uh, a four-season room after we moved here. So I sit out in my four-season room, and I look out, and it's beautiful, and there's this little bubble of perfection, and life is wonderful, except for then you've got your newspaper in your hand, and you realize it's really not wonderful. Everything's just collapsing around you. So it's it's such a, a surreal feel because we're pr- protected in our little community. Um, my daughter lives a block and a half away. She does my grocery shopping. And um, so it's really not, I don't run into all these difficulties, certainly that the young families do, um, trying to uh, function in daily life. Uh, and I try to help out. I mean, I get on uh, FaceTime every, every day, twice with my grandchildren, um, two of them, and I tutor them since they're homeschooling. Um, my daughter has four children which means her hands are full, and uh, I can help out with that, so I feel relevant and um, functioning and and, an asset. Um, But it's just weird because my life is good but in a very bad situation, which somehow that just feels weird. Well, that's far better than being bad in a bad situation. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the glass is half full in this case. (laughs) Bridget from uh, Mississippi, how are things down south? Uh, What have you been experiencing through this from a restrictions perspective? Um, Yeah, well, um, I mean, I really think that we're doing okay. I mean, you know, we're so rural that – I think, like, especially like with the kids, I mean, they just, you know, taking this time to to go fish. My daughter got a fishing pole for her birthday. I mean, things like that. They play golf. Um, 
uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, the, the kids are just not, they, they slam, they lay out. You know, it's kind of been, a, um, you know, although restricted, I'm kind of like Barbara, you know, although restricted, and we can't go out to dinner, and you know, everything is still on, you know, we're still shut down in that sense. We're opening up a little bit more. Um, next week, in fact, I think, um, you know, we've got, I think our, our hair salons are opening back up and, oh. and restaurants on a limited, you know, basis. But, you know, um, I, again, I kind of feel like Barbara. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting experience, even though, you know, in, in a very bad, you know, um, and, you know, uh, whatever, with the virus and everything. That's not good, obviously. But um, I think for the kids, um, you know, having to take a little bit more responsibility for school. Um, I teach as well. And so I've had to, you know, have 106 kids online. Uh, that's not very fun either. <laughs> Although it's been, you know, some have done very well and some have not been so well. But um, as far as, you know, the, the state itself, I think that, that everybody was, was actually very calm um, and, you know, took it um, almost not very seriously at the beginning. And then as we began to see, okay, well, this is really happening, um, I think everybody did a really good job of, you know, quarantining, you know, being safe when you went out. And, um, and I, so I think it's been you know, just kind of this um, double-edged sword of, you know, although it's a bad environment in which we're doing this, I think that everybody's learning something from it and the closeness of the families. I do think that's been a great thing, something we would never have had, you know, without this. But, um, but in the state itself, I do think that, you know, we're, we've fared pretty well and um, we are trying to open back up. Now, now here, you know, people obviously will go out with a vengeance, and so it's not like it's going to be a slow opening. If you tell, you know, I think the gates, the floodgates have already started with the restaurants. They were, you know, over, overwhelmed last night, and they were open to 50% capacity, and I, I wouldn't have dared go out <laughs> because it would have been a million people. Um, but overall, you know, I think, I think we um, will slowly, you know, get back to normal, and we hope so at least. Yeah, my my brother, sister-in-law, and uh, my nephews live down in Gulfport, Mississippi, and they they say very similar things to what you're saying. And my parents, uh, east of you in Montevallo, Alabama, have a very similar experience. They're in a fairly rural area, and they have a nice nice home out in the woods with a pool. And it's like when they're there, it's like nothing's going on. <laughs> it's it's when you drive into town. That, <laughs> You notice the differences, <laughs> or turn on the news. Yeah. Ha, I know you're in the Philly suburbs. Tell us a little bit about you know the denser area of Pennsylvania and what's going on there. Hi, thanks, Lawrence. Yeah, I'm I'm about twenty odd miles from downtown Philadelphia. We're up in Bucks County in Doylestown, which is a unique location because it's actually a commuter town for both Philly and for New York City. So. You know, when when I look around here, I have to worry about not just what's going on in the Philadelphia area, but all the commuters that go back and forth from New York City. So we're kind of touched by the epicenter of the pandemic because of our location. We're like a little bedroom community for New York City. A lot of people don't realize that. We're about 90 minutes from New York, and if you drive to Philly on a on a Monday morning, a, a normal day before all this, it could take you 90 minutes to drive to Philly, too. So that's yeah. Who'd want to do that? <laughs> right. No, take the train. Uh, so we and this part of the state was the hardest hit. Montgomery County, 
which is the neighboring county to Bucks County, was the first county to go into complete lockdown. And Bucks County followed soon after. And I think it caught a lot of people off guard. I don't think people were ready for it. Uh, I went into the grocery store for the first time, like, days, not even days, like maybe a day after the, the initial lockdown. And it was like, I can imagine what it's like in Florida when a hurricane's coming now because every shelf was just wiped clear. That's what it felt like to me. And it's something, um, I'm 45 years old, so it's something I've never experienced. I don't even remember the um, the gas crisis from the 1970s. You know, I was too young to remember that. So this is this is all new to my generation. And around here, people are, I think it took a good two to three weeks for people to really take it seriously, which was sad because I don't know how many people got infected because people just weren't paying attention. They were going on with life as if nothing had changed when in fact everything had changed. And being a single parent, it's, it's hard because I have, my youngest daughter has a, a medical condition and I cannot risk her getting this virus. If she does, it could be very, very, very fatal. Uh, not fatal, but uh, it could be fatal, but it could be very serious. I mean, she has asthma and mm-hmm. she's just high risk. And she did have a fever early on, uh, early April. I wrote about it in my in my essay, and that was a scary time. There was two weeks waiting to make sure that no other symptoms appeared, and, and fortunately she was fine. But it's one of those things, you know, I take every effort not to expose them to anyone. And still she came down with a little fever. Now, we, we live in an apartment building. We walk outside. First thing they do, they, they have the drill down. Now you come in, shoes are off, no shoes allowed in the house, and then you wash your hands. And if we're in a public place, they, they get right in the tub. That's what I do. I'm, I'm lucky because they're younger. So the schooling is not as hard. My oldest is in kindergarten, so it's a bit easier to keep her up to speed in her lessons. And fortunately, she's a good learner, and she was already ahead of the lesson plans before we uh, went into isolation. But, yeah, I'm, everyone else takes, you know, it, it's nice that we've had friends and family occasionally drop off groceries, and that's nice. So without that, it would have been very difficult for us. And the kids, they're learning that, you know, sometimes the stores aren't going to have everything anymore, and that is weird for them. You know, being an American, going into a store and not having something when you want it, that is not what we're used to. Yeah, I used to work in the grocery industry. I wrote about that a little bit recently, and it's definitely not the plan to be out of anything. So, you know, here in Cumberland County, we're in – uh, we're on a small farm near Boiling Springs between Mechanicsburg and Boiling Springs in the Cumberland Valley. And it's pretty rural here in Monroe Township. And you would not know, even looking at the road and the cars driving by and the people out walking or jogging or riding their bicycles. And you go down to the township and people are playing tennis. You uh, you go just about anywhere. You go to the grocery store and the parking lot's full. But the main thing that's been different is now when you go into the grocery store, you wear a mask and all the uh, staff are wearing masks. And also, I'd say the, um, yeah, the stockouts in the store, the most telling things. Of course, when you turn on the news. But uh, we're disappointed that we're still, Pennsylvania has this system that Governor Wolf put in place. And he's uh, changing the status of different counties, county by county. And the western and northern counties have gone what's tagged as yellow, which means there's fewer 
restrictions, some things can open up. Non-essential businesses can begin opening up in a limited way. And we're in Cumberland, but our part of Cumberland is a lot like those counties. We're not like um, Camp Hill, um, which is really close to Harrisburg. In fact, the zip code 17007 uh, has had no cases. So it's uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a little island with a beautiful little Norman Rockwell-type town around a a lake, and uh, it's peaceful. And, yeah, once again, once you turn on the news or you start to go procure something, then you see something's going on. You definitely sense it. Um, All right. My... um, I wanted to ask you both, ask you both, ask you all, all four of you, what keeps you up at night about this? Is there anything that really keeps you up at night? What are you most worried about? I'll start with you, Iris. Uh, I guess one thing that I've thought about is I'm the unprecedented number of employment. Uh, I know people who've been laid off, who've been furloughed. Um, I have not been laid off or furloughed yet. Um, I'm still working, but I do worry that as this crisis drags on, that perhaps, you know, I can be next. So that's, that's one, one big worry that I've, I've been wrestling with. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's, that's my big worry that uh, I, I could lose my job as you know, as this crisis continues. Yeah. Looming unemployment. Hey, Barbara, how about you? What keeps you up at night, if anything? Um, the future for my grandchildren. I, I want them to have all the opportunities um, for that we've all had growing up, and I'm worried that society, um, the entire world, society, everything is changing, and we don't know how, but it could be so huge um, that what what's in store for them? Um, yeah. yeah, and you know it does. I, I've lived a life. I if I get coronavirus and die tomorrow, it's not going to be earth shaking. It, it will be for my family, but it won't be for the world. Um, but they haven't. They haven't had the chance to do that yet. And you know, uh, Bridget made the comment um, that. Um, life for her children is deferred, but I would take that even a step further and say, what direction are they going to go in? I mean, it's, it's like it's changed the entire route that lies ahead and we don't know how or why or what to do about it. Yeah. Good point. Bridget, what's been keeping you up, if anything? Well, that's exactly what Barbara said. Um, you know, just what, what does the future hold? What will it be like? Um, you know, as, as my kids move on and all the kids, you know, your, your, uh, your graduates, uh, my daughter's a senior, the one that uh, is in the midst of trying out for Ole Miss cheer. Uh, and, but will there be football? I mean, of course, uh, you know, everybody around me wants to know, will there be football? And it's just kind of that, um, you know, the, just the way we live. I mean, what the, you know, our general, you know, manner of living, you know, will it go back to normal? Um, I think that's what we worry about. Um, you know, will there be uh, a dental office for my daughter to join in a year when she becomes a dentist? Or will, you know, will it be, you know, will we almost not go at all unless it's for emergent care? Um, just everything. I mean, I think every facet of it from, you know, school and 
uh, colleges, you know, um, and then professional programs. Uh, and, and then our entertainment, like I said, will there be football? You know, mm-hmm. will there be a reason to want to cheer? <laughs> will there be anybody to cheer for? <laughs> so it's just very scary, I think. Um, you know, you've worked all your – you've worked so hard. You've pushed your kids. You've helped your kids. You've done all these things, and they've achieved such great things. And then what are they going to get to do with it? You know, will there be anywhere for them to go and perform or, you know, to excel in what they've, um, you know, been working on so long? So I think that's my biggest fear is the future. You know, will we as yeah, a society yeah, – no you know, tackle it correctly. Yeah, the unknowns. Yeah, I'm too worried about football. I miss my baseball. Um, amazing how with <laughs> the NFL draft, how, how the ratings for the NFL draft were so incredibly high this year. I guess nobody had – everybody had only one thing to watch <laughs> about sports. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> H.A., what's been keeping you up? I know the very serious concern about your daughter, but is there anything else that you worry about? Well, uh, having just a single income, that's always in the back of my mind. And also trying to let my, my girls know that, not not show that to them. I mean, trying to keep things as normal as possible. Uh, you know, they have their, their foods that they like. The TV is still there. I think the, the thing that, but the second half of that is the social implications for them because they just find FaceTime and video chat so abnormal and you would think with their generation it would be normal but I think it highlights how we we definitely need that human connection that real human connection I'm seeing that through them and I'm glad I'm glad they feel that way but you know I'm I'm also looking forward to the day when they can hopefully be with their friends again so that that's been tough and you know my my oldest is a trauma survivor I can't get into too many details but Trying to do the the um, the sessions with her therapist via video chat is just not as productive. But we've moved on to other ways of expressing emotions. I mean, my daughter took on writing poetry, which has been amazing. And I didn't even have to ask her to do that. She just did it on her own. And she's been – I think the kids are finding different ways to express themselves and to, to figure out how they fit into this new style of living. So that, sounds, that's like the been, yeah, <laughs> no. sounds like but the I apple doesn't fall. Sounds like the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I think yeah. that's watching, and I watch the teenagers here. It's it's funny. It's definitely an American thing. But there's a high school across the road from us, and they they park their cars and they all sit in their trunks, but they're they have it perfectly spaced so each car is six feet from the other car. And I don't know if that happens anywhere else in the world, but here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something else. Yeah. I've been wondering like what my stepson has been doing when he's been socializing. Yeah. Yeah. This um, he AJ just just said something um that brings to mind my mind the balancing act that it is to be a parent and that never ends. That you know you're always trying to keep a balance. You know how do I how do I respond to something? Do I go a little this way or that way? And you, and it's a teetering process. Um, and he made that just made the comment about keep his children's life normal and protect them from what's going on. And I, I understand that and I appreciate that, and especially because they're so young. But then on the other hand, we have to prepare them to be able to um, right. 
to cope with what is ahead for them. So that is just a tremendous balancing act that, that you're in with what to, what information to give them, what to expose them to so that they can be stronger, and what to keep from them so that it doesn't make them collapse, you know. Um, very tricky. Um, it is. Very tricky and, and to do as a parent. They're lucky because they don't know anyone that's had the infection, so they haven't seen the consequences of, of this horrible virus. But, you know, I think as a parent, you just have to find out the age-appropriate response to your mm-hmm. child. and. Speaking with a therapist is great because they can give you that that insight into how, you know, a four-year-old's mind works. You know, the frontal cortex just isn't developed yet, so they're going to respond totally differently than a six- or seven-year-old would. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of a guessing game, too, you know, so you just never, I don't know, never sure if we're doing the right thing or not, you just do the best you can and you, you know, you're doing that and you're getting the intervention and the help that you need. I'd say on on my end, yes, worrying about the family, the young ones in the family and their future and what, what will they experience, especially in the short term with Taylor going off for her first job, uh, the, the two heading off to college, will they start in the fall as planned you know, mm-hmm. the grandkids, what kind of world will they live in? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, but what really keeps me up at night, and it's really a separate topic for, for another program, but it's the economics. It's, it's worrying about mm-hmm. what, how many businesses will never come back, how many, mm-hmm. how many yeah. people will have to change jobs, change careers, yes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. how many. And then you have the whole geopolitical, international trade, international relations issue. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is going to, there is going to be an impact there, and we don't know how severe that will be. So we will see. Well, if life right, is on well, a stool, economics is one of the, of the legs. You know. Yes, it is. Yeah, it plays out. It's more than just uh, stockouts in a grocery store. It's it's uh, it's a way of life. Mm-hmm. It really is. There's so many so many impacts. All right. Well, I know we we just covered about ten twelve minutes of bad stuff. So let's let's talk about what we're optimistic about. Um, is there something in this that you're hopeful? You see some hopeful change? I know the the volume that we wrote and com- we uh, we were trying to envision how the world is going to be different. So Iris, uh, in your in your piece or in your thoughts, you know, is there something you're optimistic about? You're hopeful about? Oh, if, uh, using my my essay as a springboard for this. Well, I talk about um, uh, just about remembering the people who did their part and who didn't. This is from those uh, who are well-known, you know, the so-called influencers of society. Uh, I think that could be a, a major takeaway of this pandemic, because I talk about in, in my essay about um, – not just the democratizing effect of, the, of, the, of this health crisis, but also uh, talking about just recognizing who are the real heroes in society. And, and this, this crisis really held up a, a mirror showing us who are the real heroes, who should be, who, I think there's static here, by the way. <laughs> I hear a lot of static. <laughs> Uh, FYI. Yeah, if everybody um, could just pull back, pull your handset a little bit back from your face. Maybe it's some breathing. See if that makes yeah, a difference. Yeah, because I hear, I hear so much static. But it's just, it holds up the mirror to society, uh, showing us who 
who are the real heroes, and it's not the it's not the the A list celebrities or uh, reality TV stars or Meghan and Harry. It's the people who um, who worked in the front line, the, the doctors and nurses who worked themselves to exhaustion in the hospitals. No, they didn't have enough ventilators or even beds for infected patients. Regular citizens launching campaigns to find more masks and protective gear to donate to hospitals that were di- dire need of them. Um, restaurants that were forced to shut down during the lockdown. They're now providing free meals to healthcare workers who were so busy with attending to the overflow of incoming patients, they had no time to eat. Hopefully this crisis um, will trivialize, you know, celebrity, you know, which may hope, which may not be possible in our celebrity obsessed culture. So we'll recognize who, who are the real heroes of society. And similarly, those who are well-known, uh, the celebrities and VIPs, this, this crisis will, um, it will show people who did their part and who didn't. Like, for example, like I talk about, um, oh, uh, Ralph Lauren donating $10 million to the coronavirus relief effort, um, the New England's Patriots owner Robert Kraft delivering $1.2 million protective masks from China to U.S. healthcare workers in need. And then I compare that to people like uh, uh, billionaire David Geffen, who posted early in the crisis you know, on Instagram in a, in a post that drew heavy backlash, um, a photo of himself. Uh, a photo actually of a yacht um, that he was using to ride out the pandemic. <laughs> and he was he said in the yacht, and I'm reading it right here, isolated in the Grenadines, avoiding the virus. I'm hoping everybody is staying safe. <laughs> now, suffice <laughs> it to say that a post like the post like that, that egocentric, a, a tone deaf post like that, it unleashed a storm of outrage um, so bad that not only did he um, did Geffen reconsider the optics of the post and he made his Instagram private, but he, this, he eventually deleted the account. You know, it was just so um, let them eat cake, Marie Antoinette. It just it really infuriating. <laughs> so, and, and then also, and then also, um, he wasn't the only one, you know, to uh, you know to use his privilege, you know, to try to score wins, denied to the riffraff early in the crisis. Because do you remember early in the crisis there was a dearth of tests available, and how only celebrities and so-called VIPs seemed to have access to them? And contrast that to average folks with uh, fever and symptoms who had limited testing options other than traveling like to these ad hoc testing sites at local community colleges where they would wait in long car lines for hours on end hoping and praying they would make the cutoff point. I mean, we have one like five minutes away and people were, I, I think now it's gotten a little better, but early in the crisis, I mean, people were driving there like at the wee hours in the morning, one o'clock and it was opening eight o'clock in the morning. So it was outrageous. So this is what I hope, in an optimistic way, I hope that um, the crisis, that I hope that 
uh, will 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 realize who the real heroes are, who are the people who are worthy of adulation, not 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 those who just have fame and fortune, unless of course they use their fame and fortune as a way to do good, but just realize who are the real real heroes in society. Yes, Iris, I hear that champagne and caviar can ward off the uh, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> While you're on your yachts in the Grenadines. <laughs> oh my God! All right, Barbara. Barbara, what about you? Anything you're you're you have a positive outlook about regarding this? Well, I try. Um, crisis, and and this is the biggest. I mean, 71 years old. This is the probably the very biggest one ever. Crises are an opportunity, a catalyst for change. And so this coronavirus can be a catalyst for change. Uh, And, you know, to me, the big, big thing in our country is the polarization. We have got to get along. We have got to become one people again and not a nation divided the way we are. Um, So, and and the global society, we have to realize that, you know, there's no putting, it's Pandora's box. It's out. We're a global society. We, We cannot isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. And we have to look at the world as mankind um, and not outsiders. Um, So that's what I'm hopeful about. But I'm sorry, I have to put a little negative thing in there, is that I don't see people just, it's just not dawning on them. We're still, we're still, you know, whatever Governor Wolf tries to do, then somebody's in criticizing him. And then I can go through Every state and every location, it's happening the same way. People are still still having a different side. Instead of saying, let me see what's good about this and what can we do to, to compromise and come together with a plan that's going to benefit all of us. Um, it, it, you know. So my hopefulness is that it's, the light's going to go on. <laughs> okay. That, that's, <laughs> so, that's a good thing to hope for. Bridget, what are you hoping for? What? What positive things do you see in all this, if anything? Well, um, I agree with everything everybody else has said. Um, and I, but I do think that there is um, maybe a bit of compassion that could come out of it. Maybe kids have learned more about community and, you know, have, have they have more of a community feel instead of just their own, you know, narrow-minded, you know, focuses uh, that, you know, it's typical of them, of course, but, and, and of us as adults. I mean, we kind of get wrapped up in our own worlds, and I don't think we think a lot sometimes about our neighbors like we should. So I think maybe, you know, just that sense of community, We, you know, even though we're small here and, like I said, rural and, and kind of have that sense anyway, it's, a, it's more of a sense, I think, that's come into play with the, with the younger kids. Um, you know, they're a little more grateful, um, I think, they're, you know, because there's this, you know, they've never had this sense of urgency or concern about their futures. They've never had to do that. So I think that's kind of prompted them to, to be like, whoa, um, you know, life's, life's not always perfect. You know, maybe I do need to, you know, step up and, you know, I don't know, learn how to get along with everybody, learn how to help my neighbors instead of just expecting, you know, everything to be perfect around me, you know, given to me and everything. So that's what I'm hoping, I think, is, it's just compassion and respect. Um, I think Iris mentioned uh, the, uh, you know, the nurses and doctors and, you know, not taking, you know, people for granted. 
So maybe, you know, that will, you know, maybe that'll be the impact. You know, if there's anything positive to come from it, maybe it'll be that everybody will have a little more compassion. Let's hope so. H.A., how about you? What silver lining do you see in this, if anything? Well, my daughters realize how lucky they are when they used to have the softest toilet paper. (laughs) 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 But uh, beyond that, I I really think the uh, the silver lining to this is the time that we get with loved ones. That it was it was kind of forced on us, but I think we needed that. I think we need we needed to step back from our busy lives and just really appreciate what is most important. And I hope people are taking advantage of that. I know that I am. And I, as hard as it is right now living through this, the benefits of it outweigh those hardships. There's, mm. I know 20 That's years from now, statement. my, my mm-hmm. kids will look back on this time and say, wow, you remember when? Yeah. And we'll say, yeah. And thank goodness we had that time with you because no one else would have ever given that to you. You know, being yeah. a single parent working alone, even mm-hmm. even a, a typical family with both parents working, the one thing they want most in the world is to love their family, and they don't get that time. But now we all have that time, and that's that's the silver lining for me. Yeah, that's great. I'm also hopeful that, you know, all the things that, that you've all said I agree with, and I also hope that as a nation we come together more. Uh, and you see the... Uh, the awareness of civic responsibilities and also our, our liberties. Some people are acting out maybe in ways we don't necessarily approve of, but it is a reminder that there are people out there that still think that way. And hopefully that can be put to a, to better use and to better aims and to a better result in the long run. Yeah. We're just about out of time. So real quick lightning round here. How's the toilet paper supply? We'll start with Iris. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gotten better. Uh, early in the crisis, it was pretty bad. Um, so bad that when I went to a, a, the dollar store and I found toilet paper, which was like on an early Saturday morning, I was, first of all, I grabbed it, and I was so happy that I posted all over social media. <laughs> Barbara, how's the toilet paper situation in Harrisburg? My neighbors should, should people be flocking me. there. Yeah, no, I'm I am brand specific. I like I don't know. Can I say this? I like Charmin, you know, ultra soft. And um, so I've you know I've been trying to score that and not having to buy something else. And I mean I haven't gone to the score. My my daughter does this for me. But anyway, I I mentioned it to neighbors. My neighbor was at Costco and got me um, at a time that they had just gotten some toilet paper, and she got me a 30-roll package of Charmin, which I'm going to probably open up in two days because I will be out of my (laughs) other toilet paper, and I am thrilled. (laughs) Bridget, 10 seconds. Toilet paper, yes or no, in stock? It's really not gotten any better. I mean, I feel like they're, you know, we're going to end up fighting over it eventually. And I'm not really sure what people are doing at home with all their toilet paper, but the hoarding <laughs> has really not stopped here. <laughs> we just so don't HA, know what to do. You've got a closet full of it, right, H.A.? Or is, can you find it in Doylestown? <laughs> no, because I can only get out if I'm lucky once a week, if, if that. And 
No, but my uh, my daughter's grandmother dropped off a 24-pack, and I felt like I hit the lottery, so it's good now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, thank you, everybody. It's been a great show. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Thank you for listening. We're done.